Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. Have you ever wondered, what are some things that poor people, meaning as far as from a mindset standpoint, do that rich people don't? Or we can also even talk about poor as in financially versus rich as in financially. Now, I want to make this clear distinction. Whether somebody is poor versus somebody is rich, that has nothing to do with their character. That has just to do with their mindset and where they are currently uh, financially. But it does not reflect them as a person. It doesn't reflect their character. So once again, our good friends at alux.com, if you haven't already, uh, please go check them out. It's providing the source material for this podcast episode. So let's get right into 15 things that poor people do that the rich don't. Number one, watch a lot of TV. Yes, poor people watch a lot of television. And like somebody once said, it's called programming for a reason. You have these television shows or television shows and you have these networks. And I think at one given time, there are over uh, 500 shows for multiple networks going on at one time. But yes, poor people, they spend a lot of time uh, watching TV. I think the average American watches at least five hours of television a day. Yes, five hours of television a day. That is huge. And rich people don't really watch a lot of TV. Why? Number one, because they're out being productive. Number two, they don't schedule it. And then number three, they know that it's a huge waste of time. So... Rich people and wealthy people, they do not watch a lot of television. If they need to be informed, they'll be informed other ways. But yeah, rich people don't watch a lot of television. Uh, Primarily, poor people do. Number two thing that rich people do that poor people uh, don't do is that rich people usually have great nutritious meals. It's the poor people that eat fast food. Yes, they eat fast food. Hence the reason it's fast. And it shouldn't really be considered food, but I guess for consumption purposes. But yeah, poor people really eat fast food. It's cheap and it's low low in nutrition. Those are the two main reasons why uh, poor people eat fast food. Not only that, it can be part of uh, their culture from the way they've been brought up. And they're also being programmed and also being conditioned. So this is the reason why, you know, learning skills and having competency and being able to increase your financial situation is so important. Because if not, you'll be relegated to eating fast food. So it was, okay, your grandparents, didn't have a lot of money or they grew up poor. So you guys wound up eating a lot of fast food. Now your mother's seen the same thing. So now your mother does the same thing. So now you eat fast food. And then you wind up eating fast food because that's what you've seen from your mother. Your mother 
hasn't really been able to uh, add value to the marketplace and increase our value and make more money. So now it's your turn. And unless you decide to break that cycle, more likely your kids going to be eating fast food. But like I said, my main thing is because of the nutritional value. That's what really gets me. It's one thing to just say, oh, well, I want to buy fast food because it's cheap. But my thing is the nutritional value. That's what's really hurting people in the long run. And that's another thing that's really keeping you poor. You may say, Joe, how is eating fast food keeping you poor? Okay, well, look at, let's look at it this way. Or let's take this into consideration. You don't have the money, right? So you don't have the money, you can't afford the nutritious meals. Okay, so if you don't have the money to afford nutritious meals, that means you're eating low-nutritious meals or you're eating fast food. Okay? This means that your body's not able to maintain itself or run at a level that is optimal. So more than likely, you're going to have health issues. Then on top of that, you're more than likely going to be at the doctor. And then your health expenses are also going to go up as well. So that is how fast food uh, really hurts uh, uh, poor people. Especially, you know, when they're eating fast food. But like I said, it's mainly primary for the uh, nutritional value. Number three is waking up later. And I definitely want to set the stage and put this in the proper context because for the most part, uh, we have control of our day in the sense that we have the power to make the decision. Now, whether you're working nine to five or not, some people might say, oh, well, I don't have control of my day because I'm working nine to five. But you're making a decision to wake up in the morning, to go to the nine to five. So you still have some uh, agency in your decision making to decide and say, hey, look, I have a job. I have a nine to five. I'm going. Now, added to the context of this. Now, I believe when they say waking up later, basically meaning that you're waking up later, but you're not being productive because you can't wake up later. But if you're productive while you're awake, then I think it's uh, beneficial. You know, the uh, music artist and producer Pharrell Williams, he says that he usually typically don't wake up till 12 p.m. And, you know, he may work and go to the studio till about 8 p.m. And then he spend time with his family or whatever other things he have on his schedule. So... And I agree with him, and I agree with a lot of people. It's about some, I mean, yes, from a neurological standpoint and from a biological standpoint, yes, it does help. You can get maximum results if you do wake up in the morning because that's the way the natural biorhythm is set. However, you still can be productive if you wake up at different times. It's just that you have to be productive when you are awake. I think in, in this one, when Alux mentioned that, you know, people waking up late, it's just that you wake up late like you have no care in the world. You're poor, you don't have a lot of money, or you don't have no money at all, and you're just waking up and you being casual about your life. You know, you wake up at 12 o'clock just because you feel like waking up at 12 o'clock. And then the time after that, up until you're going to bed, you're not really doing nothing. And the system. It's just wasted time. So I think that's really the context they was going for when they said they wake up later. Not only that, a lot of rich and wealthy people, you know, they try to wake up early so they can get a head start on their day 
But not only that, they have certain goals. They have certain things that they have to meet on their schedule. And they want to try to get everything done in that day. They don't want to have to, you know, have stuff carry over because then that's going to offset other things. So I think, like I said, that's the full context of what Alux was trying to talk about when they say that, you know, rich people uh, wake up later. No, rich people wake up earlier. Correction. Rich people wake up earlier than poor people. It's the poor people that wake up later and that are unproductive. Number four, extreme sports enthusiasts. Now, I love my sports as well, but I'm not an extreme sports enthusiast. Basically meaning that they know everything about their favorite sport. They know everything about their favorite team, and they're always at sporting events. It's like they spend more time on these sporting events or being being enthusiasts about their favorite sport or their favorite team or their favorite player than they put in their own life. And rich and wealthy people don't do that. You know, I love what uh, motivational speaker Eric Thomas talking about. You know, like he said, it's easier for you to go to the game and watch your favorite player play than for you to invest time into your own dream in order for you to be the player in in your life, in your sport. You know, doing the best that you can. And yeah, like I said, they can tell you every statistic. They can tell you every game. They can get a perspective. I mean. They're they're basically, uh, a lot of them are just commentators. A lot of them will consider themselves analysts. They probably should go apply for a sports analyst job. But, of course, you're going to need some type of clout. You're going to need some type of brand. Or you're going to need some type of experience in order for you to be a a sports analyst. But, yeah, a lot of people should be sports analysts. I mean, thank goodness for YouTube. You know, you do have people that are YouTubers that do specialize in 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 the sports niche. Uh, but yeah, a lot of poor people are extreme sports enthusiasts. Like I said, they can tell you everything about their favorite player, about their favorite team, about their favorite sport. Like they know everything from top to bottom. But when you start really asking them about their life and what they're doing, they don't want to have that conversation. Whereas on the the rich, it's, it's, it's the opposite. They don't have a lot of time to invest in becoming a sports enthusiast and stuff like that. They're, they're too busy being rich. They're too busy being wealthy. Now, once they make the money, they can actually go to the sporting event. They can actually get VIP tickets. They might actually be able to meet the players themselves while you're still in the stands or sometimes you might even be in the stands. You better be lucky that it comes on television or that you can catch it on a, through a Wi-Fi connection on the internet. So, Yes. Uh, poor people are diehard extreme sports enthusiasts. Now, warning. This next one is gross. It's highly gross. But unfortunately, I do think it does happen. And number five is they don't shower often. Now, I am one for good and clean hygiene. But once again, because they're watching TV, and because they're waking up late, a lot of poor people, they don't shower often. You know, they can go days, sometimes even weeks, without showering. Now, I get it. And when I say, when I talk about don't shower often, and when I say, in this context, when I say poor people, I'm talking about people that actually, like, 
have access to a house or they're staying with a relative. I'm not talking about the poor people on the street that are homeless and that don't have money and can't afford a hotel room to shower. I'm not talking about them because that's obvious. Of course, they're not going to shower often because they are really poor and they're homeless. So I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people, like I said, they have access to a relative. They're staying at the relative's house or they're staying at a friend's house or they crash and, and the shower's there. Like they have access to the shower and they just don't shower often. Like I had a neighbor who confessed to me that he had it when at that at that time when I was having a conversation with him, he told me he had shower in a week. And I'm scratching my head because I'm figuring out like, bro, how do you not shower for a whole week? I don't get it. It, it was just perplexing to me. Now, granted, um, by definition, he probably could be considered poor because it was, you know, uh, it really wasn't consistent money and he didn't really have a lot of it. But, you know, um, yeah, he told me he ain't showered uh, in a week. And I've heard other stories about people not showering, you know, the same day or the next day or, you know, depending on if you're traveling or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, I've heard other stories about people not showering for, you know, at least three days. I think that's gross. Um, but, yeah, uh, poor people, um, they don't shower often. Number six, this is a big one. Poor people blame others. Yes, they blame others. They do not like to take accountability and responsibility for their actions. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And I think of one person who I know is the worst complainer and the person that does not take accountability for nothing. And um, it's a cousin of mine. Like I said, I, I won't say his name uh, for privacy reasons, just in case if he ever does decide to listen to this episode. But yes, I have a cousin. He always blames others. He doesn't take responsibility for nothing. And his new thing is he loves to go on social media and talk about our family and talking about how we're not a family and how nobody supports him. And how he can't get no help and how his family turns his back on him. And, you know, he looks for attention from others. And, you know, sometimes I think he does have, he may have mental health issues and he may need to go see a therapist. But, you know, and sometimes he does make, you know, statements about, you know, transitioning on at an early age. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been years. Years upon years upon years. And like I said, he blames everybody. He don't take accountability for nothing. And then if you don't help him, he blame you for not helping him. And saying that, well, he's not on back on his feet or he's not improving his life is because you're not helping him. So he tries to blame you. He tries to use the guilt trip, as we call it. And in my family, it doesn't work on us. It just doesn't. 
But not only that, when you blame others, that's an obstacle. You're hindering yourself. You're stopping yourself. I seen that a lot when I was in corporate. And that's also how a lot of divisional strife happens in corporate or in a company, period. You know, one department, department A, well, we can't do our job because department B is not getting us what we need. Department B, well, we can't do our job because department A is not giving us what we need. And they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I was able to cut right through that. And I was like, look, what needs to get done? And then I go to department A. Hey, well, it's going to be hard, but what about department B? Don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. What do you need? And how, do, and what do you, and how does this work? Okay, fine. I go to department B. Hey, what do you need? I need this. I need this. Okay, cool. What about department A? Don't worry about department A. I'll handle department A. And then I would be the mediator in working out those issues. And then eventually we'll get what we need and we'll meet our deadline. But I was not going to go back and forth. I was going to not sit here and, and, and blame. Now, there were times when it came for certain things and it was right. Uh, when it came to giving responsibility and giving a presentation on why that is. And I, like I said, I wasn't always trying to throw them under the bus. But I've had people in high positions say, hey, why did this happen? And I get them a detailed explanation of what happened. And then, you know, they go from there. But, yeah, blaming others is a quick way to stay poor and to be poor. And that's why I love, uh, you know, in Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, where he talked about principle number one. You have to take a 100% accountability for your actions. It sucks. It's hard. And I think that's something that rich people do. Now, I'm not financially rich right now, but that's one thing I try to do. I try to take responsibility and accountability for things. Even when, you know, things don't go wrong. And when, when things do go wrong. I take, I take accountability for my part in it. But there's also some things that are outside of my control. But, yes, I'm not one to go and blame and be like, oh, well, I'm in my situation because of this. Or I'm in my situation because of that person. No. I take accountability for it. And I'm okay with that. And you should too. So, uh, yes. Uh, try to eliminate or significantly reduce blaming others. Because all it does is delay progress. Next up, no money or very little money saved. And this is true. Poor people all the times they have no money saved, or they have very little money saved. Like I just saw a statistic or a stat that said that over fifty percent of Americans don't have a thousand dollars saved in their, in their bank account, and it's true. And part of it is is because number one, they're not making a lot of money. Uh, number two. They don't have a budget and they don't stick to the budget. But more importantly, number three, they just don't think saving is important at this moment. And they want whatever pleasures that they want. And like I said, to each his own. But that's definitely a way to stay poor is when you don't have no money saved or very little money saved. I mean, at least save for emergencies or a rainy day, but 
don't have no money or very little money. And it's funny because the rich do the opposite. They save most of their money. And then they invest their money. And that's how they get rich and stay rich. And we all know this. But like Brendan Burchard always says, common knowledge is not common practice. So you can know something, but if you don't do it, that's why even when I wrote in my book that I said that uh, outward expression is the best form of social proof. It's one thing to say something, but when you actually do it and you can measure it, and where there's a metric tied to it, where you can say you either did it or you didn't do it. And that's pretty much what it is. You know, when it comes to uh, life in general, but also poor people. So, yes, uh, poor people have no money or very little money. And for this context, I'm going to say poor as in financially poor. But I would also say um, mentally poor as well, because you have you can have a lot of people that are financially rich, but they're poor mentally. And we know a lot of people that live paycheck to paycheck, even high high income earners. They can still fall into this category. Because you could be making a quarter million dollars. You could be making half a million dollars. You can make it three quarters of a million dollars. Or you could be making a million dollars or more and you still could be poor. Because a lot of those people, they still don't have no money or they still have very little savings. So they're one paycheck away from being in some serif, uh, severe financial trouble. So from this context, poor doesn't just mean uh, financially. It can also mean mentally. We all know the infamous credit cards. Yes. Poor people have more credit cards, more credit card debt, and they take out loans for survival. Yes. This is how you get stuck on a hamster wheel. But yes, poor people, they have credit cards. They use them frequently. They max them out. And then they also take out loans for survival. Because now they're desperate. They're operating under the fear paradigm. In the sense that, hey man, I, I got to do whatever I got to do to survive. They're, they're just thinking about survival. Now, they don't go toward the survival paradigm, which is the default paradigm, but it actually works. Because now you're feeling that there's pressure. So now you, you, you downgrade in paradigms and you go to the Fair paradigm. That's, you know, that's what uh, poor people tend to do. And then, of course, you say, all right, well, I'm going to take out a loan. I just need something to be temporary. That's going to help me get over it. And then, I, you know, I, I'll pay it back. Of course, with those payday loans, primarily those are really what the loans that they're taking out for survival. They usually come with a high interest rate. And a lot of people default on those loans and they get behind on it. And then a lot of times they wind up getting, and then depending on the financial, depending on the financial provider, they may extend it for them, but they keep adding interest. So they wind up 
burying them even more to the point that it could probably take them five years to get out of that mess or sometimes 10 years to get out of that mess. And like I said, it's a very sad and unfortunate situation. But uh, yeah, poor people, they have a lot. They have a lot of credit cards. They have a lot of credit card debt. And they take out loans for survival. This one here is a very unfortunate uh, situation as well. But poor people tend to have more kids than rich people. Yes. That's right. I know that's a very unpopular opinion, but poor people do have more kids than rich people. And at first, it was always an oxymoron. I was always wondering. And then when you really think about it, yeah. A lot of rich families, they don't really have a lot of kids. You know, for most rich people or for most things that I've seen, and I know this could be anecdotal, but from what I've seen, most rich and wealthy people, they usually stick to the two-kid minimum or the two-kid maximum, depending on how they look at it. Now, there will be some times where they'll go to three, but it's very rare if you see a rich and wealthy family and they have four kids or more. But the poor people, they tend to have as many kids as they feel like it or as they see fit. And I think that becomes down to, you know, parental planning, which there is no or there is a lack of parental planning. But not only that, you know, really determining the partner that you want to have these children with. You know, a lot of men or some men, should I say, are not really fit to be fathers or want to be fathers. And you have some mothers that are the same way. They, they, they shouldn't be mothers. Now, you can't tell them that. Because they're going to get defensive, they're going to get angry, they're going to get upset. But, uh, yeah, some mothers should not be mothers. But this is why parental planning is so important. But the two other areas that are bigger than that, because, okay, let's say you didn't do parental planning, or there was a lot there of parental planning. Okay, the child's here, or the children's here, now what? And what I think a lot of people don't take into consideration is the yearly operational expenses of that child. I think there's a statistic that shows that from 0 to 17 or 0 to 18, it costs on average a quarter of a million dollars to take care of a child. So if you multiply that by two, you multiply that by three, or multiply that by four, that could be a million dollars that you will spend over an 18-year period for four children. If you was the, you know, if it, if it wound up being a million dollars. And I think a, a lot of parents, they don't think about that. They don't think about the operational expenses or the lifestyle, should, they should say. Which goes into my next point, which is the leadership and development. 
Meaning that what is it going to take to show these kids on how to become leaders? I don't know that. Skills development, how to develop them, get them some competency. What is that going to take as well? In money and also in time and also in effort. But I hate to say this, but some parents are selfish. I want a child. Okay, you bring a child. Now, you're going to give that child that same poor and struggling lifestyle that you currently have. Or they're going to have to be the one that be the paradigm shift in the family. They're going to have to say, I don't want what my parents had. They were poor. I don't want to be poor. I have to do something different. So that's something to take into consideration uh, when it comes to having kids or when it comes to having children. So all I say is just keep an open mind and really think about it. And when I say think about it, I think think about the long term. Because a lot of us, especially when it comes to kids or especially with goals in life, we just think about the short term. We don't think about the long term effects. And those could be monumental. If you're not cognizant or if you're not aware of it or if you just strategically don't plan for it. Next, poor people don't have regular checkouts with doctors. Uh, and this is important. Especially as somebody who, like I said, I don't consider myself poor, but especially somebody who's who hasn't had regular checkups in a while. And that's primarily because I take care of my body. So I don't really go to the doctor a lot for checkups. But I can say, or I believe, for that matter, that a lot of people, they just don't go just for the sake of don't going. And it's not that they're like me, that they're taking care of themselves, you know. I get a good sleep. I eat right. Uh... You know, I go to the dentist the most. Uh, but as far as like when it comes really to like the, the medical doctor, I may go see my doctor maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. Or sometimes I go to the doctor. Well, yeah, it is usually once or twice a year because usually around this time is when I get sick, when the weather changes. So I usually have to go to my doctor for then. And then... Every other year, I go, you know, to get a physical to make sure I'm still in shape or at least healthy uh, is what I mean. But, yeah, for the most part, like I said, the medical doctor I really don't go to. Uh, I exam optometrists and try to go to that every two to three years. But in this case, this is just saying that people just don't go just for the sake of going. Now, it's a very unfortunate situation, especially the stigma in the black community where we just don't really go to the doctor, period. Or we don't go very often. Like, and I think a lot of times for the black community, a lot of us, we go to the doctor only because we need the medical records to go to school. But I think if it wasn't for running the medical records for school, I don't think a lot of us would be keeping up with going to the doctor. Here's the reason why a lot of times when a lot of us graduate from high school, we become adults. We don't go to the doctor. We don't get checkups, but we should because getting checkups with your doctor can save your life. There's been countless stories about people that said that they went to the doctor and 
they feel fine, but they went to the doctor and they found out that they had a tumor or they had cancer or whatever the case may be in it. And they caught it in time and was able to save their life. So um, I think we should do regular checkups. And even somebody that's me that's healthy, I'm going to give to this too, so I'm going to go ahead and throw myself uh, in the ring. I probably should do more regular checkups with my daughters as well. But, uh, yeah, poor people, they don't really do regular checkups with daughters. Now, part of it is it could be traumatic in which they don't want to hear bad news, but it's better for you to know so you can take the necessary precautions uh, to get you healthy. So, I'd rather know and deal with the bad news than to not know and not have the chance to take the necessary steps to potentially rectify a health issue. Spend money before they get it. Yes, poor people do spend money before they get it. They either, if they have a credit card, they'll spend it. Or sometimes if they, yeah, they'll, they'll just spend it on the available balance that they have. Sometimes what they'll do is, is that they'll make a payment and then go spend it and then they, oh, now they have a new one. So let's say, for example, if you, uh, you owe $100 for a minimum payment. They're going to they're make the $100 minimum payment and then go right to the mall or go somewhere else and buy something for $50. And it's like, you just made a payment, but you're out spending it even before it probably posted uh, in your account. Or, too, it could be a check or, once again, those payday loans. You know, you're getting the money, but it's already spent, either whether it's, whether it's spent mentally in your mind or just by your emotions. Well, sometimes, you you know, you may have somebody deduct something. You know, you're supposed to get some money coming in, but somebody does something for you, you have to pay them, and then boom, as soon as that money comes in, that money goes right back out to fulfill that obligation. But, uh, yeah, poor people. Yeah, they definitely spend it before they make it because they're impulsive and they're impatient. Birds of a feather do flock together. So, poor people surround themselves with other poor people. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true. Poor people do surround themselves with other poor people. You know, misery loves company and you also have enablement. So if you're poor, then of course you're going to be around other poor people because it's going to make you feel good. Not only that's what you're accustomed to. In order for you to rise up in the race, you're going to have to change. But this is also, you know, where vision comes into place. And I'll just give this as a side note that that was one thing about me. I'm glad I've always had vision and been a visionary. And I always wanted more for my life in the sense that I always wanted to surround myself with people that were either on the same level of me or that was on a greater level than me or that was in a situation where they were where I wanted to be in the future. So, you know, that's why I say I study millionaires and billionaires because I want to be a millionaire one day. 
You know, even with my creative pursuits, I study certain creative artists because that's where I want to be. So, and even times when I didn't have money, even times when I was, I guess you could say technically poor financially, I really didn't, wasn't hanging around poor people. I was trying to hang around people that didn't have money because I was trying to learn, okay, well, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Um, but yeah, the worst thing for poor people to do is be around other poor people. Because you're, you, you know, you're within that same bracket. That's why they say, you know, you will make within 5% of the people that you hang out with. So if you're poor, and if the people that, majority of the people that you hang out with are poor, then you're primarily going to be wound up poor too. So uh, that's that when it comes to poor people surrounding themselves with other poor people. Never follow through on their ideas, promises, or words. Unfortunately, this is also very common among poor people. They have their ideas, they make promises, or they say that you know you can you can trust them with their words, but then yeah, they don't follow through. And this is why when I talk about my six degrees of ambition, the first three uh, levels, which is you know, idea, interest, and desire. Like, a lot of people are just idea people. And sometimes the idea is not even that good. I mean, I have a lot of ideas. And I've been there, too, where, like I said, I've been in situations where I had a lot of ideas, and I didn't follow through on my ideas. So, I've been there. But like I said, I'm glad I made the paradigm shifts, and I'm glad I made the, uh, the steps to, you know, try to course correct that. But yeah, a lot of poor people, they'll always tell you what they're going to do and how they're going to do this. And then, oh, I promise I'm going to get it right this time and all these words. And it's very unfortunate. Like, And I had firsthand experience this with my own father. Like, my own father would make a lot. He made a lot of promises. And, you know, and, and said a lot of different things. And it came to a point where I just don't believe him or I even really didn't believe him. I just let him talk, you know, for the sake of letting him talk and out of respect for him. But when he said certain things or he promised certain things, I didn't get all excited. I didn't put too much stock into it because his track record had showed me otherwise. And that's usually what a lot of poor people do. Like I said, they, they won't follow through on their ideas, their promises, and their words. So. Sometimes you just got to take it with a grain of salt and just let it be what it's going to be. Poor people believe others should help them get to the top of their potential. And it's so true. This also where entitlement comes in. And this also goes into blaming others. You know, I've said recently, you know, uh, people help those who help themselves. You know, you got to show and improve. And you got to give people a reason to why to want to help you. But if they don't help you, you can't get mad and be like, oh, well, they don't want to help me. So that's when they reach my top potential. Like I said, I've been guilty of this. I've been there, too. Where I felt entitled and I felt that, oh, well, this person should put me on. Or this person should help me get to the top. And it's like, no, Joe. That's not how that works. 
Well, that's not how it always works. And I shouldn't be just blaming somebody. I should do the best that I can and then go out and seek the help that I need. And that is usually how I've been able to accomplish a lot of good things in a short amount of time is that I've been able to, okay, let me start this. And then people see what I'm doing and I'm like, hey, man, what you doing about that? Oh, hey, how can I help you? Or if you know, or you, you, know, you need some help, or if I know somebody that can probably help you, then, you know, if you need anything, just let me know type of thing, you know? But if I would have just, you know, believe that, you know, others should help me get to the top. Like, I feel entitled, and when they don't, then I'm disappointed. As Jack Canfield said, there was an appointment that was dissed. But you can't put too much thought, you can't put too much emotions in feeling like, oh, other people should help you get to the top. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't open doors for you or help you around the corner and stuff like that, but don't feel entitled that that they should help you get to the top. You know? It goes back to what I talked about with my cousin earlier about blaming others. Like, and that's exactly what he truly believes. He feels that other people should help him get to the top. But here's a news flash, everybody. And this is why I wrote this article on uh, LinkedIn about save yourself, the advocacy for accountability. And that's exactly why I said that. That you have to save yourself. There's nobody. You have to. You have to act like nobody's coming to save you. The cavalry, the infantry, and the artillery ain't coming for you. They're not coming to save you. You have to save yourself. And like I said, when you start trying to be self-reliant, you start trying. Okay, I'm gonna do this myself. Like I said, when people see what you're doing. Then they want to help, but you got to get started first. But if you just sit there and just believe that, and you just sit there and wait, and you believe that, oh, well, I'm waiting on this person, or this person should help me out, you're going to be waiting a long time. And more than likely, you're going to be staring at an empty bag. And finally, poor people believe in the right circumstances. Primarily, whereas rich and wealthy people believe in skill acquisition, skill development, overall competence. So, this goes into the, so now you have circumstances versus competency. Let's put it that way, right? So, poor people. It has to be the right time, it has to be the right circumstances. Like I said, I've been guilty of that because of my, uh, my upbringing and my conditioning around certain people who told me that not to see they operate. But, like I said, as I've grown and if I've developed and mature, I'm really siding more with the rich and the wealthy, which they focus more on competency, which is skills acquisition, skill development, overall competency. Where you start does not have to be where you finish. That's the bottom line. And that's the unfortunate part about a lot of poor people. A lot of poor people stay poor for two reasons. Number one, well, three reasons, actually. Number one, vision. They can't come up with a better vision than what they do have. Number two, patience. It's going to take time. You can change it. 
But more than likely, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not. And lastly, do the work. Yes, that's right. You got to do the work. I was on LinkedIn this morning. and I seen a post from uh, New York Times bestseller author and uh, speaker Mel Robbins. Well, she says, don't say that you don't have time. Don't say that you're busy when you don't want to do the work. And her, and her advice was do the work. And it's true. You have to do the work. You got to make sacrifices. It's not easy being rich. It's not easy being wealthy. You have to make the sacrifices. You have to do the work. I tell people all the time when people look at my results and I get a lot of compliments about my LinkedIn profile, about my experiences. I was willing to do the work. It was hard work. You try working late at night on the weekends. You try working late at night. You got your friends. They going out. They telling you all the things that they about to go do. Well, you, you at work working, putting in work, learning, growing. It's a lot to be the number one producer in your department. It's a lot to be the number one trainer in your department. It's a lot to be a high performer. It, it's not easy. You got a lot of times you got to do things that you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. So, yes, my final words of advice for poor people is get a vision that you can be excited about. Have patience. You can get it done. It's just going to take longer than you anticipate. But I love what somebody said. Time is going to pass by anyway. So you might as well go ahead and put the work in now. And then three, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. And it's not just for poor people. This is for anybody that's listening to this. This is even for me. You have to do the work. So those are my final words. And those are the 15 things that poor people do that the rich don't. Matter of fact, before I go, let's do the recap. Number one, watch a lot of television. Number two, eat fast food. Number three, they wake up later. Number four, extreme sports enthusiasts. Number five, they don't shower often, which is gross. Number six, they blame others. Number seven, no money or very little money saved. Number eight, credit cards and takeout loans for survival. Number nine, they have more kids. Number 10, they don't have, they don't go to regular checkups with their doctors. Number 11, they spend money before they get it. Number 12, they surround themselves with other poor people. Uh, number 13, they never follow through on their ideas, promises, or words. Number 14, uh, they believe others should help them get to the top. And number 15, they believe in right circumstances, whereas rich and wealthy people believe in competency, which is skills acquisition, skills development, and overall increasing your competency, a.k.a. your craft. Uh, thank you.
once again for listening to another podcast episode. And I'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Paradigms and Perspectives podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast and that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.